yeah, it's only mysterious if we understand ourselves as separate. But if we understand ourselves as relational, down to our very existence, mm. you know, that, that your being is part of my being, then of course, anything that happens in the macro is happening in the micro. And anything, any change that's happening in you will in some way be mirrored by a change in the world. Because we are not, we could be, because we're not separate, because we are the world. When we understand that, then, then the principle that you just, that you just articulated becomes obvious. And, and like really practically speaking, it becomes obvious that if we uh, clear cut the forests in Queensland, which has been happening over the last couple of decades, massively in Australia, then something is gonna happen to us too. It's not that we're gonna get clear cut and mowed down and killed like those trees were, but something in us does get clear cut. Like something in us is, is impoverished by the impoverishment of nature. Hi, my name's Michael and welcome to Today Dreamer, a podcast and YouTube channel that examines the interplay between inner work and outer work. Through conscious conversations and practical walkthroughs, we'll be exploring ideas and practices to help you find a deeper sense of clarity, develop your focus, and take meaningful action. I hope you love the show. Welcome back to the Today Dreamer podcast. This is a very special episode and one that I guess I've been looking forward to for some time. It's with Charles Eisenstein. Charles speaks a lot around oneness, around this illusion of separation that a lot of us find ourselves within and the path to a more beautiful world, a more beautiful future. So we're going to have a chat. I'm going to share the chat that we had with you. And um, I really hope that, you know, if you, if you need to listen to it over again, feel free to do so. I really hope you engage with this in a, in a deep way. Give it the intention that it deserves and and really allow some of these concepts to sink in because I know that the things that Charles talks about have the power to change our stories. We often find ourselves stuck within the stories that either we create or have been created for us, but we also have the power to make a change to facilitate or accelerate the process of a birthing, a birthing of a, of a new world. Uh, the world that our hearts know is possible is the way that Charles puts it. So I'll read you a little bit about what Wikipedia says about Charles, just to give you a bit more of a background. And I guess we'll just jump into it. Charles Eisenstein is an American public speaker and author. His work covers a wide range of topics, including the history of human civilization, economics, spirituality, and the ecology movement. Key themes explored include anti-consumerism, interdependence, and how myth and narrative influence culture. So, yeah, I've been meaning to speak to Charles for quite some time. I came across his work about six to eight months ago, and I really felt connected to the ideas that he wrote in his book, The Ascent of Humanity. And I found a lot of his work to be quite useful within my own life and 
and it's allowed me to deepen the way that I reflect on my patterns of thinking and, and being in the world. And um, yeah, it's, it's quite refreshing to see things um, or have things confirmed that you've, that you've kind of, you feel like you've always known in a weird way. So here's my chat with Charles. I hope you find it meaningful and I hope you find it useful and I hope you enjoy it. If you've been listening for a while, you'll know I've started to incorporate a little ritual before every conversation. And if you're new to the show, all that looks like is a moment to pause together and share a breath just to kind of allow us to reach a state of stillness just for a moment or two before you know getting into things. So when you're ready, I'd like to invite you to kind of join me for a breath. And all that looks like is a, is a deep in- inhalation through the nose into the stomach. Hold that for a moment and then just release. Here we go. conversation with Charles. I don't know, about six months ago, I came across uh, your work and I started really connecting with the ideas that you you were kind of throwing around. It seems like you've been doing it for quite, quite a while. And I was really drawn by them because a lot of the, a lot of the realizations you'd come to, I, I found that I'd come to similar ones, although I wasn't able to quite articulate them as well as you had and, and I obviously didn't have this huge kind of background of research and years of kind of talking about the, these these ideas. And I, I just thought to myself, I have to read your book. So I found an audio, um, it was actually uh, free, which was amazing. And it was, a, it was a thank you for that gift. It was like an audio version and I would, you know, wake up every morning and it became part of my ritual to kind of listen to half an hour of the book after, after my, my morning practice. And it, it's just kind of been, it's more than 20 questions. That's my point. And I'm not really sure where to go, but there's so many directions we can launch into. And I'm just trying to feel into the most natural place to begin. Um, and, and I've got this idea in my mind of, of the, the ripples that we leave behind in our, in our existence and, and, how intentional our steps are, but also how much consideration they have to future generations and, you know, uh, future life. And maybe that would be a, a point to begin because it's kind of like the first thing that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. So I, I was saying I had family visiting. Uh, one of the family was um, my dear former wife, Patsy and her husband, uh, Glenn. Um, Glenn does work. He works at group homes uh, for youth who have been, you know, taken away from their families, put in the criminal, juvenile criminal justice system. Uh, you know, people from very troubled backgrounds, and he. He's, he's, you know, 
just like the maintenance guy. Uh, he fixes the, all the things that they break, which happens quite often because they're they're angry and they're they're troubled. So they might smash windows, rip doors off hinges, do all that kind of stuff. And you know, he he he'll involve the youth in the repair projects. Like get them involved in fixing the window blinds, maybe that they themselves destroyed, which is a quite a complicated task. And he could just buy new ones, you know, uh, from Home Depot or, or whatever. But he'll involve them in that repair process. And treat them with respect, you know, uh, and give them something meaningful to do with their hands. And then after that, they go back to their schoolwork, you know, which basically means you sit at a desk and you fill out, fill out worksheets. Um, and I don't know, like, I mean, I'm, I'm actually probably assuming a lot here. Maybe their schooling is really enlightened and beautiful, but um, not if it is the default of our society, you know, which isn't to blame the administrators or anybody. I mean, this is just the way things are done. And they often have very little patience for that, uh, as many young people have very little patience for the things that they are told to do as a good young person should do, and as a step on the success ladder. You know, here's what you're supposed to do. Here's what the good kids do, and the bad kids are the ones that don't do that. And some kids put up with it and do it and get the rewards, and other kids can't. And a lot of these kids can't, so they act out. And, you know, a lot of them, I mean, these are in a way the dregs of society, the people who have, who have been failed most profoundly by the system. And what can one man do about it, you know? Except to do what is at hand in any given moment. And here's a child and here's a project that needs to be done. So I, I get, <clears throat> I, I, I get the feeling very strong when I'm with him that um, he's contributing just as much, if not more, probably more. I mean, honestly, the feeling I get is that he's contributing more to a beautiful future than I am. Even though if you do the math, you know, I'm, I have an audience of whatever, hmm. you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands sometimes. Um, but, you know, any one of these kids, like even to have one experience of, of doing something meaningful with somebody you respect and who treats you as a full human being, like that lodges in the soul and someday bears fruit. And that could be the difference between that person uh, ending up in prison or ending up uh, as a um, successful member of society. You know, it could be the difference between the person abusing their children and having the restraint to, to, to process his emotions in some other way. We don't know, 
the effect of any action in the long run. So we have to kind of take it on faith. Like you have a four-year-old son and, and here you are, you know, trying to build your podcast and, and reach lots of people and society tells you that that is the way you're going to influence the world. But maybe society has it wrong. Maybe or society has a very limited picture of how reality actually works and, and what invokes the future that we want to see. Mm. Maybe the way that the time you take with your son and the love you pour into him and the attention that you pour into him, even when you could be doing so many other things, maybe that is your love letter to the future. Maybe that sends that energy and attention and love into the future and in ways that are will be totally untraceable to the present will alter the future in a good way yeah that that makes a lot of sense i mean how how are we meant to measure these things and how do we know you know um it'd be interesting to hear the perspective of your your ex-wife's husband and, and kind of how, how he sees what he's doing um and I'm sure yeah, he's not grandiose about it at all. He mm. doesn't, he doesn't say, he doesn't uh, validate it mm. based on some philosophical theory that it's going to help the future. Mm. You know, he's just right there. He's just, he's, he's just yeah. right there. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you, you definitely have an interesting point there. And I think it seems to, I mean, how do we, how do we then go about the things that we do if, if, you know, we could be so far astray um, and, and that just, that just calls to mind this idea of, um, I think I've even heard you mention, I, I think this idea of kind of ancient, uh, Chinese wisdom that speaks around the heart, the mind and the gut and how, if we follow our mind, sometimes we can be led astray, but you know, the heart has this real kind of, um, decision-making ability that that seems to keep us on track even though it may not seem to be you know um you know uh, using the example of the podcast it, it might not you know the podcast might seem to be something that you know i want to get a lot of viewers i want to get a lot of people listening because that's my way to make the biggest impact but something you know as spending quality intimate moments with my son that that are really meaningful to me you know the podcast may be meaningful as well um then, then those moments seem to be you know more on track and this is just a feeling of mine and it links up to what you said i think you also mentioned the gut being this kind of transformative en energy as well which is an interesting thing to look at um but but yeah just it brings about the question then you know how do we measure th if we can't measure things how do we go about making our choices in a meaningful way and then I'm just kind of led to that place of, of feeling, but I'd like to hear what you, what you think or feel about that. Yeah. The, the habit of evaluating our choices based on a measurement, based on some numbers that comes from, from our immersion in a money world. That's how a business uh, manager or, or, you know, an economist, mm. uh, or a government policymaker tries to make decisions. You know, you you do the costs and the benefits, and you choose the option that brings the greatest benefits and the least costs. So, immersed in that 
way of life, immersed in a monetized society, we are invited all the time to think in that way. However, probably everybody knows that the most important things in life are not measurable. They are qualitative. You can't measure the amount of love that you have. You could try to measure the number of friends you have, but can you measure the depth of each friendship? Can you measure the quality of the intimacy you have in, in your love relationships? Like you, you cannot do that. So the, this self-interested cost benefit way of thinking, it just, when we apply it outside its proper domain, we end up in a labyrinth, a maze of indecision. Because, well, what if this and what if that? And you can never be sure. That's because the, the calculating mind isn't even supposed to make choices like that. Uh, the choices are supposed to come from the heart, which is informed by the observations and the filtering of the mind. But the mind is a peripheral, or the brain is in a way a peripheral, peripheral organ when it comes to making choices in life. We have to choose on something else, especially today when our expectations about the world and the way that we've calculated likelihoods is, has been thrown totally into, into chaos. I'm talking about political events, uh, for example, and, and you know, coronavirus. The, the old standbys that we use to predict and control the future and to uh, guide our actions those don't apply anymore. Mm. You know, for example, if you want to build a secure investment portfolio, what does that even mean when we face possible economic collapse? For example, and we're not really facing that yet. And I don't know if we will face it, but you could easily imagine a scenario where your bank account is useless, either because of hyperinflation or because of civil unrest uh, or because of a totalitarian government uh, blocking it. I mean, there's lots of ways that those numbers in that computer aren't going to help you in many situations in life. So that, that, that is just, is just, I mean, I'm just raising that as an example of, of how the old arithmetic doesn't work anymore. Mm. And we have to yeah, like exercise other muscles. And I think, I don't know, I don't think I'm saying anything profound here, you know, ultimately, even if we imagine that we're making rational choices, we don't. The heart is in control much more than, than we realize already. Mm. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. It, it, it brings about this idea of, I mean, I was watching this this documentary, Ancient Futures, and it was talking about the people of Ladakh um, mm -hmm. and talking about um, this idea of wholeness and, and how, you know, this this old civilization, um, I'm sure you're aware of it because I think I actually found out about the documentary through um, yeah, reading. Yeah, that's a fantastic books. documentary. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah it was quite old yeah. and, and, it, and it really captured me because it was like, it was nice that it was kind of shot in this old style. I haven't watched something like that for a while. But the, the message behind it was this coming back to this. Well, what I drew from it was this idea of wholeness and, um, you know, how, you know, as things kind of speed up and, and change in a, in a lot of ways that we may see as being more beneficial, um, you know, 
from you know collecting material possessions or you know having more money we you know we sometimes forget about some more more important aspects of life what would you like to ask me here we have our time together okay um there's a couple of things I wanted to let you know as well. Just like be as open as possible. If there's anything that, you know, you feel like you'd like to take out later, I'm happy to do it. I, I might skip to the end of the questions. I've got this one that I've been looking at vibrations recently and I'd love your yeah. thoughts on vibrations because I feel as though people have different um, perspectives on, on this word. I mean, it's used in a lot of different ways. And I'd like to write a book about it. I mean, I'm, I keep speaking this out. I've, I've got a little bit of fear that I'm not actually going to step up to the plate and get there, you know, with a sense of agency that I would like. But I've got, I've got some belief that I will. I would love to hear your thoughts on, on vibrations and, and, and how you see them from whatever perspective comes to mind. Yeah. Um. You know, it's it's become almost a cliche to speak of vibrations, good vibrations. Raise your vibration. Um, yeah. Everything's vibration. Um, but there is, even on a physical level, there's some truth to the metaphor. Uh, it's become a, a cliche because it is so powerful to describe so many things, especially in our time where our old understanding of, of self is dissolving and, and uh, trans, transforming into a new understanding of self. So, the, and the new understanding of self being rather than a separate individual, being a set of relationships um, of interactions with the world. So from that perspective, um, vibration and the, the way that, that um, things vibrate in reference to something else. Um, like vibration itself is a relationship and a vibration induces other vibrations in anything else that it's vibrating with. Like this, it comes, this, this way of thinking of, of vibration comes naturally to us as we see existence no longer as being this narrow, separate, cramped self. And then, I don't know, like, another part of it is like this new age connotation that is quite repellent to a lot of people. The idea that about, about raising your vibration, hmm. uh, which I think is a very simple way, very simplistic way of understanding ourselves and understanding um, evolution, uh, the evolution of the soul. Because you could ask why is, why would you even want, like why, why are high vibrations better than low vibrations? Like what does that actually mean? Does it mean that, that a piccolo is a better instrument than a bassoon? So once you, or does it mean that, that uh, a cloud is better than a rock. If you want to speak in terms of the density of vibration, uh, why is that a good thing? And it actually, that prejudice that high vibrations are good and low vibrations are bad is an artifact of the history of civilization and social hierarchies in which 
the highest the, the highest status went to the king and the priests and the lowest status went to the peasants who had their hands in the dirt hmm. whereas the king was maybe not even allowed to touch the ground because he was so holy yeah that... so this the so yeah so so like to say that high vibrations are desirable is an artifact of a social system that is now really um uh wanting to change you know people i mean just on a really physical level a lot of young people want to go back to the land now and they hold the profession of farmer in high esteem mm. whereas it used to be at the bottom of the social hierarchy yeah you mentioned so, this this idea of evolution of the soul and and it seems as though that's really what's happening at the moment there's this emerging kind of zeitgeist that's going on um sorry i feel like i interrupted you <laughs> no that's fine i mean yeah like so if you want to look at the soul as not a vibration, but as a symphony of vibrations, as as a incredibly complex song that goes through transitions and goes through movements. And maybe there's a theme like imagine like a like a like a consummate Beethoven symphony or a Mozart symphony. There's a theme that runs through the whole symph symphony. But the symphony itself is always changing, sometimes gradually and building and reaching a, a, a some kind of a climax and then transitioning to something else. And again and again, imagine that that the soul is like this as well. So we can no longer speak of raising your vibration, but it's really what is the next instrument or the next note that wants to join the symphony and what instrument maybe is done with its role or or what what thread of sound is is now complete in this symphony and so we recognize and and what note isn't being played well and <laughs> is out of harmony with the rest yeah this is a way to look at it where you don't set up a hierarchy of some people have higher vibrations or more evolved consciousness and other people have yeah. lower like yeah we're all evolving in in different ways and it's beautiful because that that ties into a lot of your work as well when you speak about not having a specific enemy because you're being really inclusive with every note if with every instrument because it's all part of the of, of the bigger piece of music it's all part of that bigger kind of canvas or that beautiful painting that's constantly being put together yeah yeah and and you could extend it like who am i co-resonating with who am i harmonizing with mm. so this this the symphony of the soul includes other people who in order for that symphony to to really play it needs somebody else to add certain of their of their instruments and their harmonies to it so you know i mean i, I mean this is all very metaphysical uh but if you're going to use vibration to talk about um uh, spirituality yeah. then i think this is a much more fruitful way to look at it than a mere hierarchy of low to high vibrations yeah yeah i definitely agree with you and it's it's fun exploring it. it's fun hearing what different people kind of have to say about it and it's it's lo it's lovely just having that image of a of a 
collective symphony in my mind right now. It's it's a nice um, it's a nice image. It's a nice kind of picture to hold. Um, that kind of kind of leads me to thinking or asking about kind of how do we get ourselves a bit more in tune or a bit more synced up or in rhythm with the symphony of everything when we when we know that we're a bit out of whack and you know it's it's I found that in my my own life to be a difficult thing and I mean for me it's it's almost been this this idea of trust that's been that is probably even currently the most difficult thing it's this idea of kind of falling back and allowing allowing yourself to be caught with trust by by everything and you know and there's signs along the way that show you it's it's the right way to go and you know and there's like little breakthroughs here and there but it still seems to be you know a challenge for me anyways yeah i mean it sounds to me like you're asking how to do something that is fundamentally not something that you do. Yeah. Like you're trying to make allowing into like this active verb. Mm. But if you really look at it carefully and contemplate those moments where you did go into trust, and maybe you can recall a, a choice point in which you went into trust, what was actually going on then? And can you actually replicate that by an act of will? Or did it, like this is a, a I don't have an answer for you here. Yeah, it's an interesting but, question. But maybe this is not yet another thing that we have to do. Mm -hmm. You know, your next task on your self-improvement journey is to start trusting. Well, where did the distrust come from? How is it um, an appropriate response to circumstances? And is it still needed? Maybe it is. Are, is, are you ready to trust more? And in what way are you ready to trust more? And how are you afraid to trust more? And just to like take an honest inventory. What are you not ready to trust? Like, honestly, even if you would like to, even if you have an idea that it would be good to trust something more, to trust life more, to trust abundance more, whatever it is, um, are you actually ready to do that? And by giving attention to your readiness or lack thereof, a process uh, is set in motion. So it's really the act of attention that is the primary um, application of will. It's not trusting. How, how attentive are we? Or what do you pay attention to? Mm. But yeah. But you could do it right now, you know, you could um, give attention to the part of you that is ready to trust. You can give a part attention to the part of you that wants to trust and is not ready. Hmm. And, and to go into that and just to sit with that, you know, and you can do that for other people too. Like somebody doesn't trust you and 
in either directly or indirectly, you can be with them in that distrust. Because when you give attention to something, it changes. A new thing has been added. It, it, it uh, kicks a, an evolutionary process into motion. Where like to give attention to anything that's true in your, in your life, seeing the truth changes everything. Even if you don't make yourself do something about it. I've got this curiosity around how you first kind of, um, were called to write your book and, and what kind of pulled you in. And, and what truths that kind of came apparent to you and, and led you into, into, you know, what seemed to be something that really called you. Which book are you talking about? The first one that you wrote that had, when did the Ascent this... of Humanity? Yeah. I was, yeah. I didn't realize that was your first one. Yeah. Yeah. The Ascent of Humanity. Yeah. I, that was four years of work, uh, and many, many more years of preparation. Um, and yeah, basically I saw something that was true, um, that totally floored me. It just, all the pieces fit together. Uh, and, and many unrelated questions or that had seemed unrelated, but that I sensed were all the same question in different forms, uh, were answered or they were transcended. So I thought, uh, I must not be the only one who's been asking these questions and, and looking for this, uh, crystallization of an understanding. So I did, you know, the best I could given the tools available to me at the time to share the understanding that had been revealed to me. Um, Because the, what I was just saying uh, about on the personal level, the recognition of, in, of unconscious truths that brings them into consciousness and starts a process of change also applies to the collective level, uh, to society. When something that was hidden comes into awareness, it changes the society. For example, sexual assault. Uh, the, the Me Too movement, uh, I don't know if you had that in Australia, but but here it was a big thing, I'm sure you know about it, mm. where women came out with their stories of sexual assault. Me Too, yeah, that happened to Me Too. And something that had been kind of under the surface, semi-conscious, all of a sudden was put in our faces collectively. And even though it didn't necessarily come with new laws or anything like that. It changed the climate. Simply knowing that this was happening changed the climate. Or another example would be um, police violence against black people. The, the advent of ubiquitous cameras brought this into greater awareness. It's not like, and now people are, are you know, very indignant about it and want to stop it but it's not like it was just started you know in the last few years i mean this has been going on for for decades and decades 
So, so these are examples uh, of the truth made visible, the power of the truth made visible that is operates on a political level and also on a personal level. Yeah, it's almost as if this, you know, everything creates a, an ongoing flow of change in, in, in a different direction. So even if we're just talking about this right now, this could create kind of a shift in someone's mind and that could lead on to different changes. It just, you know, if they're showing certain things through the media, just the act of showing whatever they're showing can then lead to other changes being made that actually affects what's actually going on in the totality. Right. And that's the, that's, you know, the power of the media is that it directs our attention mm. onto one thing instead of another thing. And you're just and mentioning whatever, how important the attention, the attentiveness was. Yeah. Yeah. So whatever the media directs our attention to, uh, becomes part of our becoming and whatever it directs our attention away from stays in the unconscious stays in the social collective unconscious and cannot uh, be changed directly. Mm. It can, it, it can come out in, in, and does come out in uh, sublimated forms. Mm. And that just becomes another see. part of that symphony that we that we were talking about. Yeah. 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 This, this idea of, of everything that I do, I just heard a little one in the background. <laughs> um, yeah, this idea of, of everything that I do kind of affects the whole and everything that is happening to the whole is happening to me. Um, I've got that coming to mind at the moment. Would you be able to maybe share your thoughts on, on, on that? Um, yeah, I think. It seems a bit mysterious in a way. You know, yeah, it's only mysterious if we understand ourselves as separate. But if we understand ourselves as relational, down to our very existence, mm. you know that that your being is part of my being. Then of course, anything that happens in the macro is happening in the micro, and anything any change that's happening in you will, in some way, be mirrored by a change in the world, because we are not we could be because we're not separate because we are the world. When we understand that, then, then the principle that you just that you just articulated becomes obvious, and and like really practically speaking, it becomes obvious that if we uh, clear cut the forests in Queensland, which has been happening over the last couple of decades massively in Australia, then something is going to happen to us too. It's not that we're going to get clear cut and mowed down and killed like those trees were. But something in us does get clear cut. Like something in us is, is impoverished by the impoverishment of nature. And our lives become impoverished in some way. Maybe not in terms of GDP. Maybe all the timber exports increase GDP. But life in some way will become poorer in Australia if you cut down, if you continue cutting down the forests in Queensland. Uh, and, and one way that that happens is that cutting down forests disturbs the hydrological cycle, uh, um, stops bringing in the rain, and you have catastrophic fires. 
like that's one way and and scorched landscapes and smoky air that's mm. one one of the many many ways that um what we do to one we do to all what we do to the other we do to ourselves i just i <laughs> i want to ask you a big question but I, I you've written a whole book on that question so i don't really want to just throw it at you like that but it, it seems like well, Yeah. Yeah, it seems like there's this, it just, yeah, this is happening on a huge level, on the biggest level and on the smallest level and, and on all levels in some sense. Like, I remember watching a documentary that was, for an, as an example, saying like the sands of the Sahara kind of fertilize the Amazon. So everything is kind of, there's this real interconnectedness with all things. And yeah, it just, it's just sometimes it feels as though we're so blind to that we're we're not aware of that either because we haven't had like you mentioned earlier this this kind of experiential um moment of knowing um and i was just wondering you know do you have any thoughts on you know <laughs> it's i don't want to say what do we do about this because there's maybe there's nothing really to do um but it kind of begs the question of like, is there a way to hit that kind of reset, reset switch and really facilitate and accelerate um, this, this emergent change that, you know, we feel that I feel is going on. Um, and is there any way to kind of um, connect, connect more deeper with the people around us, other beings, the, our place, the planet, and ourselves ultimately um, that comes to mind, you know, after writing uh, The Ascent of Humanity. I would love to hear your thoughts on on all of that. Yeah. Um, my, my, my role is not to offer instructions on how to do that. Yeah, I realize that. It's just like, yeah. I'm just curious about. And, and it's not, you know, part of the reason I don't want to offer instructions is because like that whole paradigm of instructing. Yeah, yeah. Like where one person says, how do I do it? Another person says, here's how to do it. Like I think that, it's worth asking the question. Yeah. yeah. But I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, I can say that you can find the correct instructions for yourself mm. when you understand uh, who you actually are and why you're here. Yeah. And that the story that we've that we've been implicitly or even explicitly given as to who we are and why we're here is wrong or obsolete or can no longer accommodate who we are becoming and who we want to be. Mm. So when you understand that your purpose here is to contribute to life and beauty on earth, then you'll be much clearer on what to do. Just like holding that purpose will will open up your vision to opportunities that you may not have seen before it'll change your your values and priorities you'll find yourself making different choices merely by touching that knowledge you mentioned who you are why you're here again is to contribute to life and beauty on earth and to if so if i had any instruction in this moment right now it might be to sit with the truth of that 
and let that truth do its work on you. And then to start seeing it in everybody else too. And then you notice the habits of seeing other people as less than that. Hmm. But to, to look at everybody, you know, even your least favorite politician, and to know that that's why they're here too. Because what they are is the same thing you are. They are life. They are life as doing as life does in the situation that life is in. And life is created to create more life. That's basic biology and that's basic ecology. Ecosystems, every being in an ecosystem contributes to the complexity of that ecosystem. And ecosystems evolve toward more and more complexity and the whole planet does too. With each wave of new biology from multicellular organisms to flowering plants, you know, each new innovation increases the density of connection and the aliveness of the whole thing. That's what life is for. You are life. Donald J. Trump is life. Everybody is life. And we all are here for the reason that life is here. So when we know that and become immune to the other stories about why we're here, such as to maximize self-interest or to be as safe and secure as possible, then everything changes. Hmm. And you become a lot more powerful that way. You know, if you can encounter other people instead of judging them as lesser or irredeemable or hopeless, um, which means that your only choice is to defeat them or overcome them or, you know, ignore them. If you can see their purpose within them, then you have the possibility, not the certainty, but the possibility of calling that forth into the natural alliance that we are meant to have. We're, me we're, we're meant to, to every single human on earth to be in alliance in service of life. It's been kind of the opposite for a while, uh, but the possibility is still there. I know that because of the anguish that we feel when circumstances are anything but that. When we humans are not in alliance in service of life, it's really uncomfortable. So that that discomfort, even the the civil strife that we're seeing now, um, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for it, but underneath it all is the possibility of healing. There's the possibility of peace. There's the possibility of alliance. That's what. That's that's the hidden. Um, the hidden, uh, the hidden possibility in, in polarization and civil strife. It's the possibility of alliance. We wouldn't care so much and fight so much if we didn't actually want to be united.
I feel as though, although kind of things seem really chaotic at the moment, there's almost like this crescendo of chaos taking place. It seems as though there is still um, a lot of beautiful things happening. And there's a lot of these moments of reunion taking place amongst the seeming chaos. So, you know, people kind of getting together to help one another, another out. You know, we had um, pretty bad, pretty devastating fires in Australia earlier in the year. And I think there's some going on in California. And the way people kind of come together through these kind of events, and you know, there's so many things going on in different places around the world. But it seems to bring about um, something deeper from, I'm going to say, within the human spirit or within the spirit of life to come together. And that seems like a natural process. Yeah, the fires or any other kind of breakdown, they temporarily clear away all of our programming and, and, and the environment that holds us in a state of perpetual uh, suspicion of each other and non-cooperation. Those get swept away by a natural disaster and what lies underneath is revealed, which is our natural solidarity and uh, desire to take care of our fellow humans. Rebecca Solnit wrote a book on this called A Paradise Built in Hell, hmm. which just, she, she describes 10 or 15, uh, at least natural disasters or man-made disasters, um, earthquakes, floods, hurricanes, things like that, where uh, the, the government, like the state, and its institutions were, were you know, inoperable. Mm -hmm. And people come out of their houses and they start helping each other out. They, they, they take care of each other. That's what's natural to us. And it, it always wants to come out. And the only reason it doesn't come out and flourish is that it's being held down. It's like a parking lot. And the weeds want to come up. The cracks want to spread and the weed seeds get in there and they crack it open more. And in 50 years, if you do nothing, it's a forest again. But, but you have to constantly pave it over every few years, add more asphalt in order to keep it a dead parking lot. And the same is true of society. We have to keep on suppressing, keep on controlling, keep on surveilling, uh, doing all of the, the totalitarian stuff, more and more and more of it. Because as soon as we uh, pause in that effort to keep everything paved over, beauty erupts, togetherness erupts. That's the tendency of the universe is toward relationality. So this is basically uh, you know, I think nowadays I'm thinking a lot that a, that a more beautiful world will come when we're too exhausted. It won't be when <laughs> Team A triumphs finally over Team B. Yeah, it's, Team that's... Good triumphs over Team Evil, where the Democrats triumph over the Republicans or the Liberals triumph over the Conservatives or anything like that. It'll come through exhaustion. That's that's the way it seems to usually go, right? When you when you throw your hands up in the air and say, you know, I give up. Then, mm -hmm. then the miracle starts to happen. Um, I've I've noticed that in my life many times, 
Um, yeah. But it's also, I but, guess, but you, but you can't, you can't turn that into a prescription. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. so we, give up. We have to give up yeah. now. Yeah. 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 It's, it's almost like you've got no other choice. You've exhausted all your efforts and then, and then, you know, the light kind of comes through. It's an interesting right. thing. You see it in different stories throughout time. Um, mm -hmm. It's represented in different ways. Yeah. I lost where I was going with my thoughts. I was, you, you really ignited something within me there. I was thinking of this, um, this guy in, in New Zealand, actually, who I wrote, um, I wrote an email to and he wrote me back a handwritten letter and it felt really nice to receive this letter. And he's got this project called, I think it's called uh, Win Winner High. And it's just a, a bit of land that he's bought and um, he's had it for a long time. And every time a bit of land pops up around it, he just buys that piece of land and he leaves it alone. And, um, you know, everyone was telling him that it wouldn't wouldn't do anything and it wouldn't grow and it, it was just like, you know, um, he was wasting farming land. And then eventually all these kind of seemingly ugly kind of bushes popped up. Everyone was calling them ugly and the farmers hated it. And then these bushes actually provided like the right amount of shade for, you know, a different type of plant to grow. And then eventually, you know, whole forests were kind of springing up. And it was just, just this beautiful story that, you know, if you just leave it alone, um, you know, mm -hmm. uh, there's this there's this intelligence to kind of nature that that takes over, and it's just really about stepping out of the way. And I see kind of you know um, links to links to, with ourselves as well in that regard. Like if we just kind of step out of our own way sometimes and allow when we're ready, that nat natural process will take place. Yeah, it doesn't mean though that you never do anything ever. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's, there's first, there's stepping away from the habits and patterns that of, of paving over the world, you know, of, of holding things down. Um, maybe the economic patterns of, of farming uh, or industrial agriculture. Um, and so to step into the unknown is, is an important step. But once you're in the unknown, then you're able to see things that you could not see conditioned by your habits and your understandings that you had had, you can see new things. And those new things invite action once again, that could be a very different kind of action. So when it comes to healing land, in fact, uh, there are many examples of land that's simply left alone, not healing, but continuing to degrade, but land where human beings participate with the intention of healing mm. can recover much, much faster. So the fact that he was the caretaker of this, this piece of land probably had a bit influence. Yeah. On like, it. was he actually doing nothing? No, I don't think um, he would have been. I think he was doing work yeah. on the land, but he wasn't kind of, he was allowing it as well. He was kind of doing, doing things that from what I remember and what I understand kind of helped the land out, but it is, does come back to this idea of, I guess, collaboration and Right. working together as a system rather than trying to kind of right force that's what it is it's about or, yeah yes it's about collaboration it's about participating in the process of healing so it's not saying well humans are bad so let's step away and let nature heal but it's it's saying humans are meant to to be part of nature we have a role here too so it's participating in the healing what am i called to do so in north america it might be to reintroduce beavers to a place where they've been 
you know, where they were exterminated 200 years ago, or it might be to, to, to build water retention features, um, uh, or it might be to, or, or to, to, you know, repair erosion gullies, because uh, they don't repair themselves. But if you fill them in and make a little pond there, then the erosion gully can heal. Or it might be to intensively graze cattle in a way that mimics herd animal behavior so that grasslands can regenerate. Uh, or it might be to plant just the right trees that you know are the right trees because you've been observing that particular land for a long time and, and committing to taking care of those trees over the years and from and to learn from your mistakes, you know, like that's the kind of participation that can bring miracles of healing to the earth. I've, I'm, I'm collecting photographs of before and after. Um, I think some of them are from Australia, actually, mm. from the uh, Savory Institute. <clears throat> but, you know, totally ruined, desertified landscapes can be green again in the space of a few years or a decade with the right participation of human beings. And it's usually very minimal. You know, it's just, it's almost like the, the deeper the understanding, the less interventions necessary until it could even become homeopathic. Hmm. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And again, I see that kind of not only in regards to land, but that, that idea kind of spreads across everything, it seems to. Now, how much time do we have, Charles? Because if we have to wrap things up soon, I'm going to respect that. Um. Yeah, you know, I, I was, I was, uh, I was expecting an hour, but we can go longer. Um, you know, I'm, I, I do want to get back to my family and stuff, but, but, um, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go a bit more if you want. Okay. Yeah, I, I'd really like to, yeah. and I won't. I'll be yeah. conscious that you, that you do. I can hear the little one in the background. This brings a smile to my face every time it kind of pops up in this. Yeah. Um. So. Okay. Where should we go from here? Maybe. Have you got anything that comes to mind? Uh, you know, I, um, no, I do, I'm, I'm just available to whatever you're curious about. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I really um, like uh, that. You know, you mentioned earlier that your job here isn't to instruct anyone and it's, it's almost as if you're you I feel as though you do this through your, all your work. It's, it's, you're creating this, this space, you're creating this kind of, you're allowing something to take place. You're, you're the, the person that's allowing something to take place in a way to arise within others. That's what I feel anyways. Yeah. Or, or maybe, um, as in, as your instrument to bring to your awareness, something that you already know, but don't know that, you know, yeah yeah so yeah if there's something that you know but you don't know that you know it maybe you could uh, <laughs> bring that up yeah that's a, that's a tricky area to explore i think um i really liked this idea of um the gift i mean it's not really a new idea is it uh gifting to others and then finding the capacity to be generous within ourselves you know, it seems like um, there's a certain leap that needs to take place. And as as we take that leap more, more and more, it, it seems as though it becomes easier to do so. And um, 
the the effects of that leap become a bit more obvious. And it, it makes me feel really at home, this idea that, you know, if everything goes to shit, this is, this is what I was talking about yesterday with my partner. If everything goes to shit, I like the idea that other people have my back. I like the idea that, you know, I'll be okay. That kind of gives me um, a real big push to really go out there and do what I'm called to do, whatever that may be. And um, it's just this, it's almost like a safety net in a sense because I'm not focused on security. I'm not kind of consumed by it. I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've been given this beautiful gift, which is, you know, like we said, everything's built up of relationships and it's not only taking um, from that well, but it's also feeding back. There's this reciprocal kind of cycle that takes place of really being of service and then allowing others to be of service to you because it goes both ways. Um, so yeah. Mm-hmm. I just think it might be interesting to explore that that area of the gift and um, why you were drawn to it and... Um, you know, what are you what are you doing in that area at the moment? What are you thinking about? What excites you about that? Well, you know, I've done, um, I've used a, a gift based business model for quite a long time, uh, and I encourage other people to to explore that as well. Uh, especially for any digital product, any digital service, such as podcasts or uh, music um, or software. Uh, Because like, you know, there's this question, how do you monetize your, your, your website or your podcast or whatever? You might be reaching thousands of people but there's no obvious payment mechanism. So what are you going to do? You know, you could put it behind a paywall and make people pay, uh, but that's not really the culture of the internet, you know, to pay for a podcast. There's a lot of free ones out there. Why would anyone pay for it? And besides, why would you want to limit the reach of it? You're not doing it to make money. Ultimately, <clears throat> you're doing it because you want to reach people with, with, with ideas. Mm-hmm. So then another option would be to have advertisements of some sort or to have some free version and some other version, uh, some premium version, or like there's all these different ways people are trying to monetize their, their digital offerings. And I think the best way to do it is to say, look, there's no good way to make you pay. And I don't really want to make you pay. So how about I leave it up to you, how much you would like to pay. I'll give it to you as a gift. And if you would like, you can give me a gift in return but you don't have to. Once I make it that you have to, then it's not a gift anymore, is it? Mm. It's a a trade. Mm. So that's how I I do my online courses and all kinds of, you know, all my my stuff. My my website runs by donation and stuff. And that's, it's nice to keep it clean of advertisements and things. Um, And that strengthens, that strengthens connections and, and, develops relationships deeper as well right well yeah i mean i'm not sure how on that 
on the level of the internet, I'm not sure if I'm really strengthening relationships. When well, but, I think the reason you and but, I have a relationship is yeah. because I I read your book, which you gifted out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. So you could, yeah, you could look at it that way. Um, I, I, one benefit of it is that in a world where so often it's all about the money, you know, like you go to some great website, you know, and it's really exciting information and then you hit the paywall. Mm. And there's the feeling of dismay in me when that happens. I'm like, oh, I thought this was, you know, like there's a disappointment there. So I don't want to give people that feeling of disappointment mm. because that's contrary to the message that I'm actually uh, called to bring to the world. Uh, the message of, of, of interbeing, not the message of, in the end, it's all about the money. It's all about self-interest. It's each for himself. That's not, that's, that's exactly contrary to the ideas that have recruited me to, to spread them. Yeah. Um, when you're talking yeah. about these ideas that have recruited you, and you obviously, um, you know, you mentioned a bit earlier, kind of the, the catalyst for this um, decision to move forward on on these ideas and and the connections that you kind of saw and it seems as though it, through your work you're pulling in you know threads from all different places that seem to line up quite nicely i'm just going to jump in and, and ask how do you do your research I'm, I'm really curious to know just from and maybe this is from maybe a selfish perspective which I, i'm just wondering and you know i've heard you even say selfishness doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing um, but I want to know, how do you do your research? What's your what's your process for that? And and do you have any kind of, again, I'm asking for tips, but do you have anything you could throw my way in regards to that? Because, yeah, I, I really enjoyed reading your stuff and I really kind of would like to know um, more about how you gather sources of information and how you find those links. Uh-huh. Hmm. Well, as I begin to notice patterns, <clears throat> the patterns are incomplete. And I'm like, well, there should be a, a node right there for the, for, and there should be one there and there should be one there, but I don't see those yet. So then I go looking for them <clears throat> and I'll, I'll, for example, uh, When I was working on the ascent of humanity, I'm like, this story of Darwinian evolution, random mutation, survival of the fittest, that just doesn't fit into the uh, story of reunion, of 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 unity. You know, it doesn't fit. So, is there some other uh, account of evolution um, that's not about an external designer imposing it on the world called God? And it's not about randomness. Is there something else? And I knew that there must be something, so I knew where to look for it to fit into the whole tapestry. Mm. And so that's when I discovered uh, horizontal gene transfer and um, biological genetic engineering of organisms that on themselves and symbiosis causing evolution uh, and and that you know that whole world i knew it was there before i found it 
I knew like there's something there. So that's one thing um, is to, to look for the, the data points that will make an incomplete picture complete. But then there's a second thing that's also really important because if you only do that, then you're never gonna look for the data points that would disrupt your picture. So it's, it's a very useful practice, especially today when the when social media channels us toward self-reinforcing echo chambers it's especially important to visit uh realities that are totally at odds with the one that you're comfortable in so i this is my other trick you know i'll, I'll read something that um i'm disposed to completely disagree with and and to really go into what is it what what is the truth in here and how does it feel to occupy this worldview i've especially done this around covid 19 because i have an opinion a set of opinions that i've written about and put out into the world but what if i'm wrong you know the consequences of that would be terrible so let me let me really go into the um mainstream view and and take it at its best not at its worst usually when people investigate an opposing viewpoint they use the version that somebody on their side presents them of what the opposing viewpoint is but to actually go into the opposition camp as and to, to live there for a mm. while yeah i i i feel like i do the same thing in my relationship to be honest with my partner it's almost like okay that you've got an issue and instead of, you know, it's a bit difficult sometimes, but instead of just saying, you know, I'm going to defend myself in this moment, I'm kind of like, get a bit curious sometimes. And I'm like, you know, how are you seeing this? And how could I maybe dissect this a little bit further to see what truth is within? Because mm -hmm. that helps out. Because if I don't get to that, it's it's just going to happen again. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. It's the same, same thing. Yeah. All right. Well, this is probably a good place to wrap things up. Um, but yeah, I'm really, uh, as you as you already, I'm sure are aware, I'm really appreciative of um, just being your presence here with me and just kind of us being able to connect and, and create something new and to to be able to have the opportunity to share, you know, this message that's, you know, filled me up with so many new ideas and, and has clicked with so many kind of existing places of knowing like you mentioned um and yeah just you know we finally got there it's been a little little bit of a up and down ride with trying to connect and last time the microphone microphone wasn't working and i sent you a I sent you a video addressed to someone else and it's just like yeah <laughs> yeah that's right i forgot about the mic not working thing yeah yeah right but um yeah. yeah thank you i guess that's all i want to say yeah good well i'm glad we finally did it and uh yeah, I hope uh, that um, it reaches some people and that they resonate with it. Yeah. And that it's helpful. It's definitely yeah. going to reach some people and they'll resonate with it, I'm sure. I just wanted to say I really appreciate you taking a moment to listen to this conversation, to engage with what Charles had to share. And... I really hope that you've gotten something out of it and that 
it will give you a little bit to experiment with or think about moving forward in your experience. I encourage you to check out more of Charles's work. He's got some amazing books. Uh, the one I can you know, most highly recommend is The Ascent of Humanity, which is just goes in, into so much detail around the kinds of topics that we've been talking about today. Uh, so I definitely encourage you to check that one out because it's definitely had a really profound impact on the way I'm moving through through my life. Yeah, just really shone the light on some things that, like Charles mentioned, ignited this sense of deeper knowing within and allowed me to feel empowered, empowered to to make a difference, you know, towards a more beautiful world that felt significant and meaningful. So yeah, definitely check it out. There'll be some links in the description section, also in the show notes, wherever you're kind of watching or listening. And yeah, thank you again. I'll catch you in next week's episode. And I really hope that you're getting something out of these these chats that I'm having. And um, yeah, I hope you're connecting with this stuff because um, I definitely am. And I felt like, yeah, I felt really good about the conversations I've been engaging with lately. And I hope so that translates. So thanks again and catch you next time.